0: Good morning, church. How are we this morning? It's warm over here. It was cold and seaside where Nancy and I got to spend some time at the beach.
1: Yay. Don't be jealous. Yay, it was, beach.
0: was rainy <laughs> most, most of the time, but we had a good time anyway. We had a really wonderful time. and In fact, uh, we had some friends join us just for the weekend, and it was the only two days that it was sunny. So, yeah, S- Spencer's in the back going, hey, amen. He was one of the friends. So, nice to be back, though. We missed you guys very, very much. Um, like many of you, I've been trying to make sense of the staggering news of late. It's really kind of reminding me of what is going on in this world these days. I, I think it happens at such a pace and in such a way that we become dumb to it. But the reality is still there. And the impact is just as strong. I remember growing up watching the Bill Cosby Show. And then to hear of Bill Cosby, this jovial comedian who gave us Fat Albert, Albert and Dr. Huxtable, who was just recently convicted of drugging and sexually assaulting a woman. And then we heard of one after the other Matt Laurel. Mm. Charlie Rose. Charlie Rose. Senator, Senator Franklin, and, and the list goes on and on and on. We've been hit with one story after another of people who are to be, appear to be one thing in public and something totally different in private. And it's reminded us that, that, that this world is not safe no matter how safe it may look like on the outside. The only safe place is in the arms of God. That's it. That's it, really. And ultimate safety will only be in eternity. Amen? Amen? According to the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, one in five women, one in five, look around you how many women are here, One in five women and one in 71 men will be raped at some point in their lives. Think about that for a second. Look around and think about that statistic for a second. Safe? I don't think so. 51% of female victims of rape reported being raped by an intimate partner and 40% by an acquaintance. In 8 out of 10 cases of rape, the victim knew the perpetrator. This one really bothered me big time, but 1 in 4 girls and 1 in 6 boys will be sexually abused before they turn 18 years old. Think about that for a second. Yeah,
2: it's uh, unbelievable.
0: That means that it's very possible that somebody that's sitting in your pew has experienced How are we doing? Okay. Yeah. Starting pretty heavy, aren't we? What's really interesting is that only 12% of child sexual abuse is ever reported to the authorities. Mm-hmm. So we don't really even know the numbers. Yeah. We start to pray. Due to the nature of the topic and the intensity of the darkness, I've actually asked Nancy, who has had years of experience working with victims, and and now as a volunteer of SARC, which by the way that stands for Support Advocacy Resource Center, and she was voted uh, SARC Volunteer of the Year this year. <laughs> Amen to that. Yeah. I've invited her to address uh, the this issue, uh, and she is way more qualified than I am. She will also be interviewing one of our own members who was brave enough to help raise awareness with her own story. Um, So, Nancy, would you come on up Uh, and share? This is so heavy, I decided Nancy's gonna have to preach this one. (laughs)
2: Yeah, (laughs) it's a little scary. (laughs) Um, The statistics are so overwhelming. And um, how many of you know that it is not just in the community? You know it's in the church, too. Um, I think one of the first cases, a case, I'm talking like it's a case. That's so ridiculous. One of the first young women I met was telling me about how when her grandmother went to prayer meeting on Wednesday night, her grandfather forced her, I'm going to try to be gentle because of the young ears here, Um, I hope you don't mind. Um, But you'll understand that I am talking about abuse. And she said, so for her whole life, here every prayer meeting was this absolute terror until she actually uh, told on him. And uh, once she did, he beat her every Wednesday night. So uh, I remember thinking, oh my goodness, somebody who's in the church did this? And I remember thinking... It must be the only one. This is so bad. How could this possibly be? And I went on and on, and um, it, I, it was very shocking for me. But as years went on, the stories that came to me, the abuse came from so many different people. And when I was in uh, New York, my girlfriend and I decided we would be the start the women's ministry in New York, and she was we were co-presidents because neither one of us wanted to completely do it ourselves. (laughs) And so we started a ministry, and it it just thousands of people that come to those women's ministries. Um, Well, there was a woman that I met, and she told me about her project, and I said, why don't you come, and we'll give you a place in the lobby, and you can set up. I had no idea how intense her project was. And her project was that she took little pieces, little squares, And she gave them to women, and they had an envelope with the address to send them back to her. And they were allowed to put their handprint upon this square, and they could write or decorate it any way they wanted if they had been uh, sexually abused. And so um, she then put them together in a blanket that she was going to send to... um, It goes out of my mind every single time. What's the big meeting of the church? general conference. Now the blankets came to be about from here to here. She started with one and sewing them together and many of them were decorated amazingly. Some of them were graphic and we covered them and things like that. She ended up with 10 of them because she wanted to Make a statement at general conference to let people know that this was happening. Because for every handprint on this side is a handprint of a perpetrator on the other side who is just as damaged and hurt and is facing heaven with a secret that he thinks he can get away with. Or woman. It's not just men and women. It could be a woman who was an abuser. So they were trying to make a plea that this was happening because people didn't believe it was happening even within the church. So there was these, we put up three of these blankets. We had a corner. We had envelopes. We had pieces of cloth. We had paint if you wanted to make one. And you could take them for other people, whatever you wanted to do. We were trying to make it as anonymous as possible. And I went to the main floor and to the Hispanic floor, and we talked about it, and we invited women to come. Somebody had tried to shame the woman who created the project by telling her, oh, these are just people trying to dwell on the past and, and don't go to their booth. And I, it was kind of amazing that a leader did this. So she said, I, I'm going to leave. And I said, please don't leave. I said, you clearly have a ministry to people. This is a problem Jesus can help us. Isn't there, any, is there anything that he cannot do? Let us face this thing. Let us face it. These are precious humans in the sight of God. Let us face this. And so I said, I'll go talk. So I, I, I got up and made this announcement and invited women. If you want to tell your story anonymously that something has happened to you, Feel free to come by and take, and I had told the woman, I'll be happy to do this for you, but don't make me talk to anybody, because I don't know what to say, and I don't want to ruin somebody. So I come back, by the time I spoke with the Hispanic um, group, I came back, and there was a Hispanic lady at my table crying her eyes out, and I didn't know what to do. I was like, oh, Lord, please don't make her need my advice, because I have no advice. I don't know what to say. And so she talked about her father who was the deacon of the church and how he put his little girls to bed every night and how he told her that if she told that um, it would split the church, that it would split their family, that their daddy would be in jail and it would be her fault. And she lived under that for years until he started to do it to her sister. And she decided to tell. And you know, sure enough, it did split the church because people didn't believe her and then on top of it her mother left the church and she was more devastated about that than anything and i sat and i listened and i listened and i could feel the heart of jesus breaking and i remember thinking oh lord i have i don't know what to say and i just prayed and i prayed with her and she made a handprint and she left She came back the next morning. She goes, you know, I came in as a chance. I've never told anybody my story except for my mother. And she said, and I said, God, if this woman tries to give me any advice, I'm out of (laughs) here. And I said, that's okay. I told God if she needs any advice, I'm out of (laughs) here. And we both laughed and hugged each other. And I said, I'm going to keep praying for you because I can't fix that wound, that horrible wound. But I can listen. I can walk with her. I can tell her she's precious and loved and valuable because you need to hear it over and over. Well, there was one more woman who affected me so deeply that I actually began to really study this and try to plead with God for answers for the situation. And she was a woman, as we worked, there was a woman that kept walking back and forth by our tables, back and forth, back and forth, all day Sabbath. And finally, my, um, my partner went over, and she said, would you like to make a handprint? So we took her hand, and we took her to the table, and she stood there, and we, you know, we had paint, and we had markers, we had anything you need. She just stood there, and I said, do you want us to help you? So we took her hand, and we put some paint on it. And we turned it over, and we put it on the piece of cloth. And from the tip of her finger, it began to shake. And the shaking came all the way up her arm. And her whole body just shook. She, without saying or making a sound, these tears. And I knew it was the first time she'd ever said, Me too. It happened to me too. And she stood there, and we cleaned her, we washed her hand, the two of us, and just washed her and hugged her. And then she left and never said a word. I have no idea who she is. It, doesn't, it didn't matter. She was sane. and I remember after that, I turned and I looked at the three blankets, and I could see all these hands reaching out to the church saying, Help us. Help us. Because you see, this damage, this wound, is not like any other wound. It's not like, and I wish I could tell you how many people have said to me, I don't know what's wrong with those girls. I get sick of hearing about that, and why don't they just get over it? Why don't you just get over it? Why don't you just get over it? You don't understand that this is a thing that so hurts The emotions, the mind, the soul, that it leaves scars that come in waves where you're okay, and then all of a sudden you have a child and it comes on you. And then all of a sudden you turn 30 and the whole thing comes on you again and you remember. And you don't just remember, you relive. And I'm telling this because maybe some of you don't understand what this thing is about. So that when someone among us walks in with this damage, we will not re-damage by saying, oh, don't ever talk about that. And we tell them to keep the secret a little bit more. And we become the second abuser. Oh, no. When you look in the Bible, and I, I want to just look, and because the story is long, I'm, not, I'm going to abbreviate it too. We studied about David and what David did and his, his story. Uh, sorry. In the, book of Am- in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 13. And I'm going to skip some. I'm going to abbreviate it all. Because we know what David did. We just heard his story. David, standing on the roof of his castle, looks upon a woman, and instead of walking away, as she's taking her bath, he stares upon her. He sends for her, and when all of them are going, hey, uh, this is so-and-so's wife. you sure you want to do this? She comes over, and the Bible titles it adultery. It's not adultery. In legal terms of today, anybody that uses coercion to have sex with someone else, that's rape. And when a king of a country calls you, and because we have presidents, we don't get this, when your boss, when people of power, but when the king of the country calls you, you submit. The very beginning. Of this whole thing. He then kills the woman's husband because he can't hide his sin. He then tries, and it goes on and on, and there's a death of a baby. There's a prophet saying, You're the man because there's no secret that will not be known. But we don't even begin to understand the fullness of the price of this abuse. Because here we have the story in 13 that continues because David, it came through the generation. And here's his daughter, Tamar. Did I say it right? Tamar. Tamar is an innocent girl in the house of God, robed in the greatest finery with tapestries and gems she is a joy. She is the daughter of David the king. And her brother from another mother looks upon her and says, I got to have her. And he makes up a lie and a story. And he says to his dad, I'm so sick. I know what I really need. I need my sister Tamar to come and give me some bread. Really? This didn't ring a bell in David. Because if anybody could have warned David, it was David. If anybody could have warned this young man, was it not David who lusted and lost everything in the eyes of God? So here's this man. He gets there. He fakes his illness. He sends her out. And then you have the story. Send everyone out or there. And I wrote through the verse. And verse 10 Ammon said, so everyone left him, and then Ammon said to Tamar, bring me the food into my bedroom so that I may eat from your hand. There should have been a little alarms. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Ammon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and he said, come to bed with me, my sister. She says, don't, my brother. And she, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wickedest fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then Ammon hated her with an, an intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. And then he says, get out. And she begged him, no, don't do this. And she said, this is the worst thing. She begged him. And he gets his servant to throw her out. And in the claw- hallway, you see her putting sack, ashes on her. Head and ripping the royal garments because her life is over. And when you look at the next piece of the verse, uh, verse 20, her brother Absalom said to her, Has Ammon your brother been with you? Be quiet now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. But Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. When King David heard all of this, he was furious. He was furious. David was furious. And he did absolutely nothing. He did absolutely nothing. Absalom waited for two years for his father to do something about what had happened. His sister's life is ruined. She doesn't come outside. She doesn't go to any of the dinners with the family. She lives in desolation as if she had done something wrong. And that's just how we treat rape victims. As if they had done something wrong and there was some kind of shame on them. That they were bad, dirty, ugly, whatever. How did that happen? Oh, and I wish it was the end of the story because you know what happened. Absalom kills his brother and then he runs, he waits another three years, and David does nothing even then. He waits and he waits and then. He sets a field on fire to get his dad's attention. His dad said, okay, you can come back to the kingdom. What man beside David could have gone to his son and said, I murdered a man too. And the grace of God is sufficient for you. But instead he says nothing to him. And he waits and he waits and he begs at one point for his father to talk to him. And when he finally sees him, he cries, he weeps, oh yeah, I love you, Absalom. But Absalom is so hurt that this happened that he then raises up an army, chases his father out of his kingdom, and here's a really weird piece of scripture. I'm zooming through this. hope you don't. As his father is leaving the castle, Absalom and one of his commanders decides, let's put a tent on top of the castle. And then they took the ten women that were left behind to watch over the castle, David's women, They put her on the roof. And a man who was so offended that his sister was raped rapes ten other women. I'm going to get even. In front of everybody in Israel, these poor women that endured this, but here's the deal. Let's look, when we look at assault in the Bible, we have a family, we have Diana who was also assaulted, and the brothers came after and just ended up killing an entire group of men. Violence is never a good answer. We look at these women, and when David returns to the kingdom, it tells us in 2 Samuel 23, he returns to the kingdom. He took the ten concubines that he had left to take care of the palace, and he put them in a house under guard. He provided for them, but he did not lie with them. They were kept in confinement till the day of their death, living as widows in desolation. So here's the deal. Let's put the women over here that have been raped and let's just ignore them and we'll put a big wall around them and we'll let them be desolate and we won't see them and we'll pretend that this never happened. That's a second way of dealing. But then we have this story. And do you see, by the end of David's sin, his own, he loses two sons. He loses 20,000 men in this thing. He has 11 at this point women are raped. This is the end of his secret. It goes on for generations and it's not over till 20,000 men are dead. Oh, we have to come clean. We need if we need to deal with this sin among us. This lust of the flesh. This taking of someone that doesn't belong to you. Because you see, Jesus doesn't deal with rape like that. If you turn in the back of your Bible, I'm almost done. He talks about Mary Magdalene. And this is in Mark chapter 16, verse 9. When Jesus rose up early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene out of whom he had driven seven demons. The first person Jesus sees when he comes out of the grave. This ought to go through you and understand. I believe that women who have endured this on this earth are the ones that stand next to Jesus' throne in heaven because there's no sin like this sin. And this woman, he appears to her. And it says what? He cast out how many? Seven demons. What does that little tiny piece of scripture mean? It means after she came to Christ on seven different occasions she wrestled with demons. She wrestled with the garbage that had been done to her and lived inside of her head. That's what it's going to look like for us when we walk with people that have gone through this. They're not going to go, and it's over, and it's gone, and it's done. They're going to require us to love them over and over, seven times, seven times, 70, whatever perfect number of times that we need to wrestle for them. We need to wrestle for them. Because Jesus reminds us of this. No matter how low you are, even if you are Mary Magdalene, no matter how low you are, in his sight, you are extremely precious. In his sight, he sees the royal crown and the robes. He sees all of the beauty of the child that he has created. And Jesus tells us of the preciousness, the value, the beauty, because woman was the top of the creation, followed by the Sabbath. She is a crown. She shows an image of God that men cannot show. She is in his image, and because of these things, Satan has never ceased to destroy and attempt to destroy. Since I've worked for SARC, I don't know how long I can do this because I never dreamed. I never dreamed. I have ministered to women, men, who have been sexually assaulted, and if you think it's just about men, it's so far from that. A 12-year-old girl that was abducted after she had been charmed for over a month by a man who, a young, young man going back and forth in his car talking to her. He was so nice, she said. And then he said, I know where you live. If you tell anybody, I'll kill you. Terrifying. I have now um, ministered to one-and-a-half-year-olds and six-year-olds. And And I look at that and I think to myself, "How? how can any human do this to a baby, to a child? If you and I don't stand up and begin to declare that these humans are precious in the sight of God, worthy to be fought for. There are men in this place, men in Tri-Cities, who are selling their children for heroin. There are girls that we minister to who travel in the trunks of cars. from Because this is a main corridor here, did you know that? From Spokane to here, we are a main corridor. If you see something, say something. We want to do, because there's not enough time today to even begin to cover this subject. So we were hoping to do some seminars. We want to learn how to teach our children how to protect themselves. We want to know and understand how to walk with people that are going through this. How many people here have had someone in their life who's been affected by this issue? Look around—it's massive. They've known. How many people here have known men that have been affected by these issues? That's that's a lot. We're beginning to minister to older men that came out of the farms around these areas, who I don't know what happened before the time of TV, but they went through a lot, and nobody ever—they never. Men don't say anything. So it is grossly underreported, but it is said one in three girls, one in five boys are molested. That's a lot. So what can we do? So I want to, and i got to tell you, I mean, I wish I had something funny to tell you at the end, but uh, we recently, um, Sark, had a seminar. And it was done by Ronald Reagan's son. Um, he was... Uh, it's called sextortion. It's a new term, but it means where people are captured either on computer or photographically, and then it is held over them. And uh, there has been recently, if you want to learn about it, get on the FBI site and look it up, the, the term, and there are young kids that um, have been caught at the age of 14, is usually the ages of 12 to 16 are the ages that they look for um, on computers because they usually can be terrified into not telling and uh, one girl at the age of 14 got on the computer and this man groomed her pretended he was another boy her age and somehow he figured out once he figured out where she lived he was going to pass he made her pose pictures or he was going to come and kill her parents Once he had pictures, he said, if you don't do what I ask you, then I'm going to um, give this to your school, to your teachers, to your family. And this poor girl was captured by her own computer for three years and terrorized. When they caught this man, the FBI called and said, we have him. We found your pictures and we've destroyed them. There were 258 girls on his site. I don't know how many states, eleven countries. This is a very real present danger. Let's let's be Christians and stand up. Let's. Stand. Oh, and I started to tell you Ronald Reagan had this happen. Uh, I can't remember Ronald Reagan's first wife. Nancy was his second. Did anybody remember the actress? She was an actress. Jane Wyman. Uh, when they divorced, they had hired this man as a babysitter for their son, and he somehow got photos of him. Then somehow he arranged it, and he began to tell him, your dad's not going to be the governor unless you do what I say. And he then said, your dad's not going to be the president unless you do what I say. And so he lived through years and years and years of torture, afraid that he was going to be responsible for his dad being, you know, not being the president. So he has raised a campaign to fight against these things and to help kids that have been through this. He, he's a major, and it was so funny. We finally asked him, um, When did you first believe in God? Because a lot of people lose sight of God. It's very hard to forgive these things. And he said, Oh, that's easy. I remember the day I believed in God. And he said, "He said uh, it was Nancy Reagan's birthday, and my sister and I were taken to an antique shop to buy her a present. And uh, I found a pretty tray with a woman with a red dress and blonde hair. It was beautiful. And my sister said, you can't give her that. And he goes, why? And he, she goes, that's not appropriate. And she goes, you're not going to give her that. He said, so that night he was opening the door at the White House and telling people where the dinner was. And finally, he opened the door, and there was the woman that had been on the tray. And he said, it was Marilyn Monroe. And he said, at that moment, I knew there was a God. <laughs> He's hilarious. But he has started a campaign to help children, especially adopted and foster children, that have been through this because it's massive. So um, I, have, I wanted to invite um, Brenda to come up and... Now, if you're visiting for us, Brenda Boone is a very special person in, um, very, very special woman in our church, and um, very beloved. Now, I am going to say, she has been going deaf since she was a young girl, correct, and had been wearing aids, so it's not easy for her, so I ask you to be patient with us, but um, part of Brenda's story is um, abuse, and I wanna ask you now, um, you describe it as sort of an awakening that happened to you. What age were you when you began to understand what had happened to you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, actually, over several years, I had very erratic behaviors. I was running away, I was controlling, I am trying to control things around me, didn't know what was the matter with me. Um,
2: and you had children. You were married and yes, you had I children. Yes. No, my
1: children were teenagers at that time.
2: And you were running around, running away.
1: Yeah, I felt like I was running away, but what am I running away from? Why was I having these erratic behaviors for several years? I had no answers. And my it, it affected your dreams, too. Oh yes, I had my nightmares. In fact, the nightmares I had were the same ones I had in childhood, childhood, which I didn't know why at the time, what they were, who it was. It was a boogeyman that was after me, chasing me. And I tried to run away. I was in my childhood home, um, seven years old. I ran out the house and I ran. There's a big tree in the front yard. So I would fly over the tree. But to fly over the tree, I turn into a bird. In your dreams, <laughs> In my dream. So that was my, let's me- mechanism, whatever you want to call it, of wa- what I was running away from, I did not know.
2: So at the age of 29, you began having all this erratic behavior and, and bizarre dreams, and you didn't know what it was about, and it affected your marriage, I understood. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband
1: first husband couldn't handle, and he asked for a divorce, which... I couldn't do anything about it, you know. I don't know why I am the way I am. Why am I doing what I'm doing? And so we went through divorce.
2: And that first year, I moved 11 times. So your whole running. everything inside you was all stirred up. Yeah. And you didn't know what was why or what was going on.
1: Uh, I was running away. I was running away from me. But me
2: kept coming with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. When did you begin to understand what it was you were going to some church things and you had you were going for some help yeah
1: i when i went through the divorce i promised god that i would not be married until i got to the core of my emotional baggage because i didn't want to be going through this again with another marriage you know it's not fair to him not fair to me and so i got into counseling right away and, of course, they don't tell you what's the matter with you. They ask you all these questions. You've got to answer all the questions, but I don't have the answers. But I still
2: kept going. When did you begin to understand that something bad had happened to you?
1: Well, when I was going, my counselor suggested I go to 12 Steps um, Code to and Anonymous program to help me with my control issues. And after several months, there was a man there that triggered me.
2: Now, the word triggered means it set you off. All of a sudden, it could set off a memory. But for people who have been abused, it actually can give you body memories. Like, you all of a sudden are living it again. That's PTSD. That's what that is. is it's not just that you think about the battle that happened. It's that you actually are in the battle, hearing it, thinking it, feeling it, smelling it. Mm-hmm. So when somebody triggers you... All of a sudden, you are in the midst of what happened to you. Yeah, I had no idea what was
1: going on. This 12th meetings at a Lutheran church, and I ran out in the hall, and I grabbed the fire hydrant. The fire hydrant? Why I, don't, why, I don't know. I don't know yet. <laughs> but I was just crying, know, oh Lord, what's going on with me? And he revealed to me my father had molested me.
2: take your time. We know you're an incredibly brave human. This is not, this is a hard story to tell. I didn't want to believe it because I loved my daddy.
1: But I knew in my heart it was true.
2: This, This is not uncommon for people that go through young childhood things that it may come on just in their 30s, all of a sudden memories come up. Um, It's not uncommon. It used to people, they thought, oh, you're just making this up. But it's very common that memories of things that happened as your childhood, you can block them, and then all of a sudden something will trigger it, and it will all come right back, as vivid as day. Now, I understood that you said you thought your father had been abused too.
1: Yes, it Several years later, through my recovery process, God had revealed to me that both my mother and my father had been molested themselves by their parents. By their parents. Mm -hmm. So Generations back. Yes, generations back. Within three years, I had uncovered six people had molested me. Five were family members and one was a neighbor man. 80%
2: 80% are family members. Uh, stranger rapers, only 20% of what they see. So you had, a, all of a sudden, you, you began to see and understand, and it came to your... How did God help you through that? I kept
1: praying for the truth to set me free, because I wanted to be free. Now, I, wanted, I wanted to be... I had a wounded little child in me, and I kept praying for help. And I wanted to be a whole person, yeah. you know. Sometimes this little child was controlling me, making me do things I don't want to do. Yeah. But I learned how to tell her, I'm driving the bus. I'm in control here. You can yeah. do your attention, whatever. When we get home from work, whatever, you know. <laughs> I had to work to survive and support myself. So you had how to keep I going. I don't I know how no you did idea. it either.
2: To me, anybody that recovers from these things it's a miracle. I don't know how God does it, what it's He does. It's by the grace of God. Yeah, yeah. Now, That's you had a amazing very special... Amazing Grace l- is
1: my favorite song. <laughs> amazing amazing Grace.
2: Now, um, you were saying that you, you got kind of a, um, a vision, a revelation, like God spoke to your heart. I think, I, I'm trying to remember, there were two places. One was Clearwater, and there was another one Sheep Creek. Sheep Creek. Okay. Sheep Creek was, oh, let's see. God impressed upon
1: me to go to Sheep Creek, which is you go to Dayton, Washington, you go up to the Blue Mountains, and um, up the top, you know, there's a place called Sheep Creek. It's, there's a road there, dirt, dirt road, and the canal goes through with a stream of water. There's a waterfall at the very end of the Sheep Creek. And um, I hiked up there to the waterfall area. It was beautiful. There was like a canyon. There was wildflowers in bloom. And it was just gorgeous and water coming over. It was cool and refreshing. I was praying and meditating. meditating, And um, sat down on this big rock. And all of a sudden, I went into a vision. And Jesus had picked me up as a little child, maybe five years old. Sat me down on his lap and held me and walked me. Aww. And he told me he loved me. I did nothing wrong. Yeah. And I'm his child.
2: Aww.
1: And while he was doing that, I felt something pushing on my tummy. And while that was happening, my mouth came up and this black, like black smoke came out. Over and over and over, and and I didn't, um, you know, what's going on here? I didn't know what was going on, but later, looking back at that, it was the Holy Spirit that came all the black stuff out of me.
2: All of that, the evil, evil that had been put upon yeah. you as a child, yeah. and and you know, sometimes as children we're not able to bear what we. St- that's the hard part about what somebody does, um, is that children are not able to bear what is being put upon them, and just to have all of that, that. He gave you just a vision of what it's looked like to remove and clean you and, and make you. Um, now, I, I know we're going long, but so I don't want to, um, I thought we would do something special if the guys that are playing can come up too. One in ten women raped in a lifetime. One in two women molested in a lifetime. One in two. Every other woman is molested in one point or another. Children among us. One in 71 men. One in five men molested. Those are huge statistics. So I thought I would take a good look at the little kids. How many little kids do we have today? Has it got any little kids in here? Can you guys stand up or stand on the bench even? Take a good look at the kids around us. This happens to them. But I want you to see, how many of you in here will promise that you will stand up and to the greatest part of your power not let anything happen to one of them? Will you raise your hand if you can promise that? Now I have a question. How many men in this room will stand up and be a brother to my friend and to the other women in our church that have been abused by men. Will you stand up and show the women in this church that you will be their protectors? It means a lot to me, too. You will be their protectors. We can come to you, and you will make us feel precious. And could all the women in this room, will you be willing to minister and walk beside other people that are abused and just be their friend and listen? Is there any women that would be willing to do that? Just listen. Just love them. And not judge. Are you willing? Now, is there anybody in here that would like healing and help? Brenda would love to pray and share her story, and there are several other people. Please come talk to Pastor, or me, or Fred, or Becky. And um, would you please come and share, and Sark has tons of help. They, and it's confidential, and it's, most part of it is free. Please come. Will you pray with me now? And then they're going to sing. Father in heaven, I want to lift up these women and children and men among us that have been abused. And I pray that um, I pray that you would put your hand of healing, that you would give us wisdom to know how to help people that have been through a lot. Help us to know what to do. Thank you so much for your love and that you didn't let go of us that you keep casting demons out and teaching us and you never let go until we walk through the gates of heaven. Father, thank you for an opportunity to talk about this controversial thing. And I pray that you would keep guiding us and making us smart. Please bless those among us who walk with this hard thing. Give them peace today and tonight. Give them courage and let them know how much you love them. In Jesus' name, Amen. I also want to say, if you ever want to volunteer for SARC, we can. Well I guess I'm put. that, you're, um, you're welcome. Just to call them, and they need volunteers for all kinds of things. If you can't do the medical work, there's so many things. And there's also at this point, we just started a sex trafficking program. Within the last six to eight months, we have sixty-eight cases of women, it's all been women so far, but there are men too, uh, 68 cases, and they just sometimes just need things like underwear, <laughs> leggings, uh, coloring books, that was on the list, uh, juice boxes and toys and for the kids that come with them sometimes, um, it, the list is massive, you can get on their site, I am going to put two of their flyers on our bulletin board, I meant to bring a lot, I'll bring some next week. uh, But if you would like to volunteer and do help, and they need men, women, they need all kinds of help. So thank you so much. Thank you for standing.
0: Um, before we pray, I just want to say i'm a very, very, very lucky man to have a wife that can preach because I would have never made it through that and uh, Brenda, thank you so much for your bravery um, let's let's give her another big round of applause for having one day i'd love to tell you the story of our even figured out that this would be a good uh, interview. I, I, I would I would have, it was the, the most difficult one to find, and it just kind of fell into my lap as we were talking one day. Just unbelievable. Thank you so very much, Brenda. Thank you, Nancy, for sharing uh, your wisdom. Let's pray together. I just want to remind you that uh, if you're a visitor or anybody that would like to stay, there's always a meal here. We'd love to have you stay and, and get to know you a little better. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I am just uh, just stunned by your power. Uh, there are people in this room uh, that totally get it. <laughs> people in this room that understand totally your power and, and, and people that are craving that power. And there's actually people in this room that just don't get it. And they wish they did. I just want to pray for each group of people here, Lord, because you are the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You are the same God for Brenda, for me, for Nancy, for everyone in this room, and you love each and every one of us the same. And, Father, I pray that we as a church can always be authentic about, about the way we deal with our challenges and that we don't have to wear our masks And no longer have to be slaves to fear. Thank you for that, Lord, in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.